Psalm 105. We'll read a few verses from this psalm, and I want to speak to you for a few minutes tonight out of a wonderful verse in this psalm, Psalm 105. Let's begin reading with the first verse. It's interesting to see that four of the psalms begin with the exact wording of the first verse of the 105th psalm. Three other psalms began the same way. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done. His wonders in the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Abraham, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen. He is the Lord. <coughs> he is the Lord our God. His judgments are all are in all the earth. He hath remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac, and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance, when they were but a few men in number, yea, very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not, not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. I would like for you to notice that the 105th Psalm has to do with the faithfulness of God. The 106th Psalm, the whole Psalm has to do with the faithlessness of man. If you read these two psalms, you'll find the 106th Psalm points how all during the journeys in the wilderness of, of, of Israel in Egypt, uh, in Egypt and in the wilderness journeys, all during this time, the people of God were unfaithful to the Lord, but God was never unfaithful to them. The 105th Psalm has to do with the faithfulness of God to his own. But I'd like for you to remember tonight, verse 5. As our text, remember his marvelous works that he had done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Now this psalm starts off talking about praising the Lord. And it says in that light, remember his marvelous works that he had done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. I find in this verse that God says, remember his works. Remember his wonders and remember his word in, in praising the Lord. You know, this uh, word tonight reminds us that a Christian ought to ever praise the Lord. Uh, Christians have much to be thankful for. And Christians ought to always have praise for God. You can, there's some things that a Christian ought not to ever think about and ought never to do. And you cannot do them if you're praising God. 
If you can praise God, you won't be critical. If you can praise God, you won't be uh, in melancholy. If you can praise God, you'll be a happy Christian. If you can praise God, you'll eliminate a lot of things in your life that might grieve God. Remember, he said, his marvelous works that he had done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Most people remember some unpleasant things. God said, remember these things. I know some people tonight because they remember something in the past. Maybe not something they have done, but maybe something someone else has done. It affects their whole Christian life and affects their whole Christian experience. God said, remember his works and his wonders and his word. Uh, a Christian is not to remember something that unpleasant that's happened in their life. I've met a few people in my lifetime whose whole life had been affected because of what they remembered and what they were holding in their mind. I've mentioned in this church before that we had uh, many years ago a young couple here who were saved, both of them sang in the choir, and they were burdened for the parents of the young lady. And they asked me to go visiting on these elder, more older people. I remember visiting in that home and I began to talk to them and they listened for a little bit. Then the man spoke and said, I never expect to go to church again as long as I live. I continued the conversation and I asked him if he believed that he was saved. He said, I believe if anybody gets to heaven, I'm going to get to heaven. But I said, well then, why is it that you say you'll never want to go to church again as long as you live? This man, probably 65, 68, 70 years of age, said to me, well, 40 years ago, I had an experience that soured me on going to church, and I've never forgotten it, and I've never gotten over it. And I didn't tell him to tell me the experience, but he told me. He said, we were attending church, and we were happy in a church. And one night we went to a church supper, he said. And my wife was asked to bring a pie. He said when my wife started to cut the pie that we had brought, a lady said to her, don't cut it in six pieces like you're doing. Cut it in eight pieces. He said, my wife said, I don't cut my pie in eight pieces. I cut my pie in six pieces. The lady said, but we cut our pies here in eight pieces so they'll go further. He said, about that time, I stepped up to my wife and I said, you pick up our pie and we're going home. And believe it or not, he said, that's been 40 years. I've never been to church since. And I'm never going again as long as I live. He was mistaken about that. He came one time because they rolled his casket down this aisle and they put it right in front of this this um, communion table, and I preached his sermon, uh, his funeral sermon. But he's remembered something for 40 years that absolutely kept him from the house of God and kept him from being a happy Christian. I say to you, the Bible plainly teaches tonight there's some things about the past of a Christian experiences and things that have happened in the life of a Christian. They're to put it behind them. Like Paul said, 
forgetting those things which are behind. And I believe there's a many a Christian tonight whose life is affected by something that happened in the past. Maybe not some sin you committed, but something that grieved you, hurt you, and bothered you. God said, don't remember those things. Remember the work of God and the wonders of the Lord and remember his word. But many times people remember the wrong thing. I know a person who's going on 74 years old. And several times in my life, this person has told me something I knew about at the time. When in their teens, their late teens, this person was severely punished by a parent. Now the parent's dead and gone, and the parent's in heaven. But more than once I've heard this person tell about the punishment of a parent who meant it for God. And this person has never forgotten it and tells it with a sad look on their face and speaks of the wrong that was committed unto them. I say unto you tonight, God does not want that. God never wants a Christian to remember anything that behind, that's behind him that will affect him in his life. He lives for the Lord here and now tonight. God said, I'll give you some things to remember. I think we're having a little PA trouble here, but we'll have that, I think, till we get to heaven. If there's a PA system in heaven, I'm going to ask to be allowed to go to purgatory till I get the PA system all fixed up. But anyway, I believe God wants his people to put things behind them. I know people that carry things in their mind and it, it hinders them. Things that have happened that long since ought to have been put under the blood of Jesus and forgotten them. You know, I believe that the Bible teaches God, when we're saved, puts all these things behind his back. And I believe if they're behind God's back, they certainly ought to be behind our back tonight. And we ought not to remember anything that would affect us in our service for the Lord. I called on a little lady the other day in the hospital, Friday, I believe. And I learned something that little lady. She was about as poor a health as a person could be, and I think. She's sitting in a chair beside her bed. She had one hand that was not really a healthy, normal hand. She's sitting there and she had a smile on her face and I said to her, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. And I said, when were you saved and where were you saved? I think that's a good thing to ask people if you don't know them. And sometimes they say to you, yes, I'm saved. Sometimes it's good to say, when were you saved and where were you saved? Because a lot of people will say, I'm saved. They don't know when and they don't know where. And sometimes that's a pretty good indication there hasn't been a time. There hasn't been a place when they were really saved. But I said to this little lady sitting in the chair, I mean in terrible health, I said to her, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. I said, where were you, where were you saved and when were you saved? She said, I was saved last October, I think she said the 13th day of October. I was saved and I was baptized. I said, well, where did that take place? 
She said, it took place in the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And she said, yes, I know that I'm saved. Then she began to talk to me about um, some of her illness and the things that were happening to her in the hospital and what the doctors had done. For one thing, they'd put a pacemaker in. She had bad heart condition. I think she was sick in several different ways, very ill. But she didn't know it was called a pacemaker. She said they've had to put a pacemaker in me since I've been in here. Oh, I thought I wouldn't take anything in the world for that. I'm glad she didn't know it was supposed, she's supposed to say a pacemaker. She said it's a peacemaker. And I looked at that little old lady who just saved last October. Hadn't been saved a year according to her testimony. And she said they put a peacemaker in me. And she had a big smile on her face. And she never said one negative word. And I said, thank God for even a new Christian who can be happy in the Lord and praising the Lord. I believe, my friend, I believe that that's the, that's the normal thing that God wants in a Christian's life. I believe God wants you to be happy and to be praising the Lord. Uh, I've had people say to me, Preacher, do you ever get despondent? Well, I must, you know, no use to lie. I'm, I've, I've had times when I get despondent. But I want to tell you the best remedy in the world for despondency. You just start praising the Lord. And no Christian would ever say, well, uh, what, what, do I, what should I praise God for? Well, you might start with the fact you're saved tonight. You just start with the fact you're not going to hell. You've been saved. You've been born again. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're just as sure of heaven as if you were already there. Start there and camp on that for a while. Uh, the Bible says, praise the Lord and give thanks unto his name and make known his deeds among the people. And I say to you, a Christian must put everything behind him that would keep him from being a happy Christian. He must hold no grudge, have no bad memories. He must ask God to put the blood of Jesus between everything that would hinder his life. Remember, God said these good things. And I notice here that the Lord says, first of all, remember his works. And I, I've thought about this verse and, uh, this week and studied it and prayed about it. You know, it's like a lot of verses in the Bible. When, when you need to learn something about a verse, and sometimes it seems like you just can't get a handle on it, and you want to learn something about it, so you go to looking at the commentaries. You look at what great men uh, hundreds of years ago wrote about this verse. And I'm sad to, sorry to say, but I found out that most men who wrote about it never did get much of a handle on it either. So I told the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to give me what I, what I believe this verse teaches, what it really means. What does this verse say? God said, remember his works and remember his wonders and remember his word and I'll take care of everything. And I think what God is talking about when he said, remember his works. I think God is talking about 
the great work, first of all, the great work that God has done in the creation of the world and in the creation of man. Remember his work. You know, this psalm was used, if you check it sometimes, in First Chronicles chapter 16, the first 22 verses of, this, that, of that chapter, First Chronicles, when David was the king, the first 15 verses of this psalm are found in the first 22 verses of that chapter, First Chronicles 1 through 22. And that was a tremendous occasion. I mean, it's a happy occasion. I mean, people were praising God as, a, as if they'd never praised him before. Uh, here was an instance when David wanted to get the ark of God. You see, the Philistines had captured that ark. That ark really spoke something. That ark was a picture of Christ. That ark was about the size, uh, perhaps, of this communion table. In it was a pot of manna, golden pot filled with the manna. In it was the uh, shepherd's crook of Aaron that bloomed and budded, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. And in it were the broken tablets of the law. And over it was the mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled. And this sacred, wonderful thing that belonged to God and his people, the Philistines had stolen away. David said, I want the ark back. I want the ark where it belongs. Behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a brand new cart. This is going to be a great occasion. I'm going to make a new cart and have a cow's uh, cattle to draw it. And he said, we're going to carry the ark of God to the tent he built like a tabernacle in Jerusalem. For there was no temple. And we're going to put the ark where God wants it. Only thing wrong, David didn't start out to do it like God said, do it. God said, never said, take it in a new cart and have the, the beast of burden to draw it. God said, let the priest carry it. And God had put rings in it and a stave through the rings. God said, I not only have a place where I want it, but I have a way that it must be put where I want it. David tried it his own way. The oxen drew the cart and one of them stumbled and the cart kindly moved and a man reached out his hand by the name of Uzzah and touched it and God took his life. David became angry with God. But then God spoke to David and David said, let us find out how God wants it done. And when he found out how God wanted it done, the priest to the care of the ark Put it in its place. They did that as a happy occasion. People praised God for the Lord that which represented Christ was right where it ought to be. And I say to you tonight, when a Christian puts Christ where he ought to be, not just prominent, but preeminent in the first place in the heart and life of a Christian, there will be praise and rejoicing in his heart. And because the reason that a lot of Christians are not praising the Lord is because the ark is not where it ought to be. Christ is not where he wants to be. And that's not just in a prominent place in the life of a Christian, but in the 
preeminent place above all is where God wants his son to be in the life of a Christian. When that happened, they began to praise the Lord. They were happy. They were a happy people. And this psalm is a part of what they said on that happy occasion. I met a man once in Greenville, South Carolina, that I thought when I met him, if there's a man on earth that has as little to thank God for as a person could have, it must be this man. A deacon in the Southside Baptist Church said to me many, many years ago, in fact, 1948, said, there's a man I want you to meet. And I want him to meet you. And I want you to go with me to see a man. He never told me about him. We went to a rather nice home. A lady dressed in white uniform opened the door. And she recognized this deacon from the Southside Baptist Church and said, come in, brother so-and-so. So he walked in, I followed him, went down a little hall, walked in a room, and there in the middle of a room set up just like a hospital room. There was a hospital bed and there lay what looked like used to be the form of a human being. His breastbone stuck up almost in a peak. His hands were turned like the claws of a bird. And he had such arthritis in his body that his jaws were set. They could only feed him liquids through a straw put between his clenched locked teeth. And I walked up to that bedside, and to tell you the truth, my heart was melting. I never saw a more pitiful human being. Then the deacon began to speak, and the deacon said, This is Brother Jones. He said, Brother Jones is a wonderful Christian. And he said, Brother Jones has served the Lord. There was a, um, a diploma on the wall from a Christian college. Christian University. There were other diplomas of achievement, and you could tell this man had really been something, and he'd been something for the Lord, but there he lay. I wondered if he could speak. And in a moment, through his clenched teeth, he said to me, Preacher, this is all going to end when I meet the Lord. And it seemed like that that face gave a radiance and a glow and a happiness that you rarely ever see on a human face. I want to say to you, friend, tonight, if you've come to the place in your Christian experience where you have nothing for which to praise the Lord, you're in bad shape. I say to you, God wants a Christian to be praising the Lord. Don't you like to meet people that praise the Lord? I do. I tell you, I, I go visiting sometimes on people and I go to help them, they help me because they're praising the Lord. And that's what this God is talking about. He says, pray, give thanks unto the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds unto men. Then this is the way you do it. He said, remember his works, remember his wonders, and remember his word. Now I believe what God is talking about when he says, remember his works. I think if you read the whole context, he's talking about, remember the wonderful work of God. When he stood on the horizon of eternity and from his omnipotent fingertips, he flung sun and moon and stars into space. And from the dust of the earth, 
He made a man. You know, I happen to believe tonight that the Bible teaches God made everything. I have no question about the origin of the earth and, and where human beings came from. I hear so much talk this day and time, and it's unbelievable how the whole world is divided between the, what they call the theory of evolution and the creationist theory. I want to tell you, evolution is a theory, that's all. But creation is the truth of the Word of God. God made everything that there is made. You know the strange thing about the evolutionist, he claims to be so smart. He talks about the world being 150 billion years old and gives no proof whatsoever. And the evolution starts with matter and then works on through this all this, this process until finally a little cell in the mud becomes a man like you and I. That's a lie. And you might as well teach the children in our school, there is no God and there is no Bible as to teach them that man evolved from a lower farm. Man started as high as a man could start. He came from the hands of God and walked in a perfect Edenic paradise. And he's gone down, but only God can lift him up. Don't ever let anybody make you believe that the Bible is not true in every sense of the word. I like what the Bible says in the Gospel of John, in the prologue, the opening of the book. By him was, were all things made, and without him was not anything made that was made. That just settles it for me. You can talk about came from a monkey all you want to, and the way some people live, I could believe it if I weren't a Bible believer. But I, nobody's going to make um, me have monkeys for my ancestors. I believe what the Bible says. Praise the Lord for his wonderful works. He made all things. In fact, Paul expanded on that verse and he said, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's what the Bible says. The Bible, it says we're to praise God for his great works. When, when I was a young man in the country down in Alabama, nobody ever thought of such thing as, you know, ever disbelieving the Bible about the origin of all things. And the old country people used to speak of the well, when old folks would get real old and they knew they weren't going to live very long, sometimes they'd say, I'm going to soon meet my maker. And I don't know how many of those dear old saints of God in the country I've heard speak about, I'm going to meet my maker. You know, I got saved and started reading the Bible. And I was blessed to see that the Bible, I think about 16 times in the Bible, it says that God is the maker of us all. The rich and poor meet together, the Bible says, and God is the maker of them all. Job in his affliction said, where is God my maker who giveth me songs in the night? And I want to tell you, friend, we need to praise God tonight 
for the wonderful work of God creating this world. And you know, I'd, I'd like to thank God tonight and praise him for the human body. I know I'm a spirit and a soul, but you know, I'm glad that my spirit and soul has a house to live in. My, what a wonderful house it is. This body, the psalmist said, is fearfully and wondrously made. Do you ever think about what a wonderful thing your heart is? I, I've read that the heart has 12,000 miles of tubes or pipes running in all directions. You think of it. 12,000 miles of blood vessels, large and small, in the human body. I have read where the heart only weighs about a half a pound, but it's the most marvelous pump in the world. If somebody would say to you, I'll sell you a pump that will last a hundred years, never stop, never need repairs, wouldn't you be impressed? And the human heart has been known to pump for a hundred years without ever stopping and never needing any repairs. Only God can do that. I read that the human heart beats 70 times a minute and the energy of the heart would lift the weight of your body. In 24 hours, your heart lifts enough weight to lift your body a half a mile right straight up in the sky. Now friends, that's power. And only God can do that. There's nothing in this world like so beautiful and perfect and wonderful as the way God made the human body. So the Lord said, praise God for his works. And I just thank God tonight for the works of God. He made the world. He made me. Uh, J.C. Massey used to uh, tell about his little daughter. They told her at school different theories about where things came from. One day a teacher said that uh, the moon is made of green cheese because he didn't know what it's made of, didn't know anything about it, didn't believe in God, so he just threw out something. The little girl went home. She told her dad, J Dr. J.C. Massey, she went home and said, the teacher said today the moon's made of green cheese. And J.C. Massey's heart nearly failed him. He thought, oh my, they've sown us that seeds of falsehood in the mind of my little girl. And he was greatly disturbed. But the little girl just smiling and as happy as she could be. And she didn't wait for her dad to make corrections. The little girl said, but I know that's not true. Because you said, uh, you know, you have to have milk to make cheese. And she said, uh, the moon was made on the fourth day. And cows weren't made until the fifth day. And she just went on about her business and said, so you couldn't, the moon couldn't be made of green cheese, could it, Daddy? He said, no, and that just settled the whole thing. You know, it's a wonderful thing when you believe the Bible. And you say God and his word. Oh, some people in our class, classrooms and universities and in you know, the schools where our children go are trying to teach people that they're to forget about this thing of the great work of God who made everything. God said, remember it. You know, if you'll remember God made everything, God made this world and God made me and God made you, you won't worry so much about what's gonna happen to it. I believe God's in control. I don't think this earth is just uh, like a runaway train. I think my heavenly father's driving. 
And I, I think when you come to believe just what God said, you're going to have rest in your heart and peace in your soul about what's going to happen to it. God said, remember his wonders. I asked the Lord, what does this mean? And I believe the context shows that God is saying, remember the miracles of God. And God is specifically saying, remember the wonders or the miracles that God wrought in the land of Egypt. And do you know tonight, if it weren't for the miracles God wrought in Egypt, Israel would still be in Egypt. And it was only by miracles, and especially the blood of the Lamb, that the people of God were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. God said, don't ever forget, just remember that God works miracles. You know, we got miracles all around us. I opened the book tonight, and I read from it. And a preacher gets up and he preaches, he opens a book, and that book itself is a miracle. And no miracle like the Bible. The Bible is a miracle. It's uh, inspired of God, of course, but this Bible is a miracle. No errors in it, no conflicts in it. No one's ever proven anything wrong about it, and never will. They've sunk it by the boatloads, burned it by the piles, assailed it with the so-called greatest minds of the world. But here it stands tonight, the perfect word of God. And every time somebody does what it says to be saved, they get saved. The Bible is a miracle. You know, Jesus is a miracle. The Son of God pre-existent, taking upon himself a human body. No wonder, old Isaiah said, you shall call his name Wonderful. He should be called Wonderful, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Jesus is a miracle. I mean one who never sinned. I mean one who was perfect, one who walked in a human body for 33 years and one day said, who convinceth me of sin? Jesus is a miracle. I've already suggested the human body is a miracle. A Christian is a miracle. Christian is a greater miracle as you'll ever see in all of your life. The Christian knows something no one else knows. He believes something man says is impossible. He sees something man says you can never see, and he chooses his own father because he chooses God as his father when he gets saved. Christian is a miracle. And God said, don't ever forget the wonders of the Lord. You know, I may be speaking to somebody tonight needs a miracle. Now, I'm not talking about foolishness. I'm not talking about trying to fool somebody. Like trying to say, let me touch you and you can be well. I'm not talking about what some people call miracles that have to do with healing, wealth, and so forth. I'm talking about a God that can do the extraordinary thing. And I don't think there's any doubt about what I'm speaking to somebody tonight who's saying right now, oh, I need God to do something miraculous for me. I need God to take me out of this dilemma. I need God to deliver me. I need God to help me. I need God to do something man cannot do. I need a miracle tonight. God said, remember his miracles, his wonders. And I say to you tonight, God can do miraculous things for us as a people of God when we just give God a chance and yield to him and let him work in our lives. 
I like what the, the old wino said when he got saved. Somebody said, do you believe that story about turning water to wine? He said, well, I do because he said, I know God turned wine to bread and milk and food and clothes for my little family. So I have to believe he could turn water to wine because he took away my drink and he gave me provisions for my family and peace in my heart. And I want to say to you tonight, whatever you need, I don't care what it is. And I don't believe there's a person in this room tonight but what has been in that desperate place where they've said, God, I need a miracle in my life. I need a miracle in my home. I need a miracle in my heart. I need a miracle in my life. I say to you tonight, remember the wonders, the miracles of God. He's always done them. And God's still able to do them. You know, God's power hasn't diminished. God's love hasn't changed. God's ability is not weakened. God can do anything. Uh, when you come to the place as a Christian, when you believe that God can do anything in this world that needs to be done, then you've reached a wonderful place in your life. Remember his wonders. Then the Lord said, remember his judgments. And that's one of the names of the Bible, one of the ten titles given to the Bible in the 119th Psalm. The, the, the word is called the judgments of the Lord. So God said, remember his word. And I was just thinking uh, this week some about the word, just the words of Jesus. Did you ever see a red letter edition of the Bible? The words of Jesus in red. I just got to think about the words of Jesus. I thought of that wonderful time when the old Pharisees and enemies of the Lord uh, sent some officers and soldiers said, now you go arrest him. We've got to put an end to this, uh, this Jesus business. You go arrest him. And they went and Jesus was teaching and preaching. And they went and listened to, them, to him and they came back empty-handed. And they said to them, why didn't you arrest him? And they'd been listening to him and they said, uh, never man spake as this man spake. And I'll tell you, friend, you'll never hear any words like the words of Jesus. Remember his words, the Bible says. In the fourth chapter of Luke, Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown in Nazareth. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke from the Bible. He opened the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and he spoke to them the wonderful truth of God. And the Bible says... And uh, all of them bear witness and wondered at his gracious words. You know, there, there are no words in the world like the words of Jesus. People could say the nicest things in the world to you, but a man needs to hear what Jesus said. Jesus said, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus said, um, if you believe on him, he said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world. He gave his own begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No words in the world like the wonderful words of the Lord in this book. I remember years ago, I think maybe about the, the time of the beginning of this church. So I would say 44 years ago at least. I remember one night, a little after midnight, the phone rang in our home and a man said, Mr. Malone, 
I need help. And I need you to come to my home. Would you come? I said, yes, give me the address. He gave me the address out Dixie Highway, out in the, out in the Waterford area, a little further. And he gave me the name of the street. He said, turn on that street. And he said, I'm gonna, I'll have a little porch light on. And I said, he said, I think it'll be the only porch light on, on this street. He said, you come to that little porch light. And that's the place. I'll never forget about 1 or 1.30 in the morning. I had hurriedly dressed and I drove out the Dixie Highway in about a 20, 25 minute drive. Turned on the street and found the, the house was a little, little bulb. Looked like about a 50 watt bulb out on the porch and the light was on. And I stopped the car and I walked up and there was a screen door and a man stood in the door. And it was rather dark behind him. But he opened the door and he said, Mr. Malone, I said, yes, I am. He said, come on in. I stepped in the living room and in the living room he said, oh, I need help so bad. He said, my wife's an alcoholic and my wife is wrecking our home and our lives and our children. He said, I need help. I said, where is your wife? He said, she's back here. He led me back to a room and there's a little lamp, a little shade on it, and dimly, a little dim light. And by the side of the bed, and there lay in that bed a woman tossing and writhing in anguish and under the influence of, of alcohol and drinking. And he said, my wife needs the Lord. I sat down by the bed and I began to read the Bible to her. You know, it's wonderful what the Word of God can do to somebody under the influence of something of the devil. And I began to read the Bible to her. And I, she quieted down just as quiet as she could be. And she lay staring at me. And I said to her, have you ever been saved? She said, I couldn't be saved. I said, why? And she said these very words to me, because I killed a man. I said, you killed a man. She said, yes, I killed a man in West Virginia said, I shot a man who stabbed my 16-year-old brother, and I killed him. She said I was acquitted, so to speak, though she didn't use that word, I was cleared of it. But she said, I've never been able to get over the fact I killed a man. And she said, God couldn't save me. So I took the wonderful words I'm talking to you about tonight. And I sat there by that bedside that night and I said, you know, there's no sin in the world God can't forgive. The Lord could save you. The Lord could save you tonight. That's, that's what he wants to do. I gave her the wonderful story. I said, God wants to forgive you of all your sins. God knows what, you, what you've done, but God loves you. And God tonight wants to put all of this under the blood and God wants to save you. That woman that night,